today on Ag News Daily. Obviously, Farm Bill deliberations continue. I think providing some certainty and predictability on that front. I know the principal negotiators, they've indicated they're determined to get something done, hopefully at here in 2018. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here on the 25th of October. Holy cow, Delaney, the month of October is almost to an end. I know. Next week's going to be Halloween and then Thanksgiving and then Christmas is literally two months from today. It absolutely is. But you mentioned Halloween is coming up. What are you Mm going to be doing for Halloween? You're young and hip. What do the kids do nowadays? (laughs) Um, Well, I'm going to be taking my grad school final on Halloween. I'm really excited about that. No, that is terrible. Yeah, it is. But I'm sure afterwards you'll want to celebrate you'll None. you'll get I've go to a nothing. costume party i don't know of anybody having a costume party plus it's on a wednesday night like people still have to work and stuff wow wow so you're not really going to do anything for halloween i know i'm getting old like you huh you are you're you're old doing my exact same halloween plans <laughs> but you know delaney i i was gonna share with you the greatest halloween costume idea mm-hmm. i've ever had but I guess maybe I'll just share it with the listeners. Yeah, I want to know it still. Okay, so I had this idea in the shower, which mm-hmm. is, of course, where the, the best, best idea is. Yes. Absolutely. So this is a costume, and it ties in one of the greatest Halloween themes, of course, which is the devil. You know, okay. red horns, mm-hmm. get the trident in your hand. So one of the names of the devil is Mephistopheles. I don't know why you know that, first of all. Well... Everybody should know that, Delaney, and now you know that. Okay, Mestopho- I don't know how to pronounce it. Mephistopheles. Mephistopheles. No, meph, M-E-E-P-H, Mephistopheles. Mephistopheles. Yes, but okay. you hit on the pun that was going to make my costume so great. Oh. So you dress up as the devil, and then you go ahead and you black out some of your teeth, and you you know put some <laughs> scratches on your arms, and you go Jeez. as? Meth. Mephistopheles. <laughs> God. Is that good? good? No, and it's so stupid. Although, I guess, like, that's really popular right now to do, like, a play on words. Like, I saw one on Facebook that was, like, blinded, a deer blinded in the headlights, and it was, like, a woman was wearing, like, headlights, and then her husband was, or her boyfriend or whatever, was a deer. And I saw another one that was a nightstand, and she was a one-night stand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one's uh, that's a classic. Yeah, real classic. Real classic. Well, listeners, if you go as Mephistopheles, post a picture and share it with us on uh, <laughs> Facebook or Twitter at Ag News Daily. I want to see my costume genius idea out in the wild. And let me know how people react to it. Do they react like Delaney? Are they fun haters? Or do they think it was an awesome costume? I feel like most people won't understand it. Well, no, you'll have to do some explanation, probably. Yeah, that doesn't make it worth it. You could wear a name tag that says Mephistopheles. Okay. Then people would get it right away. I doubt it. Or you could walk around with, like, uh, tied into Breaking Bad somehow and make mm-hmm. that be the meth connection. I don't know. True. Anyway. So that's anyway. that, That's a costume idea. But we're not talking costumes all episode. <laughs> no. We probably ought to talk news. We could maybe for next Wednesday's episode. But yes, we must talk about news today, Mike. I'm going to kick it off here talking about some cell-based news. So the second and final day of the USDA-FDA public gathering wrapped up yesterday. 
And it sounds like one of the final points or final things that people wanted to present about was what do you call this cultured meat? And supporters of the tech, food tech, are saying we don't like the term fake meat or lab-grown meat. But a lot of people are, are coming forth and saying, look, at the end of the day, the thing is, and this was Sarah I'm going to butcher her last name, Sorcher maybe, who's the deputy director of regulatory affairs for the advocacy group for Center for Science and Public Interest. Anyways, um, she said, look, at the end of the day, the most important thing here is that consumers need to be able to make the correct decision off of based off of their wants and needs. So by calling it a meat product, you're confusing consumers. She said it needs to be very like cut and dry that, yes, you could call it X like culture meat or lab meat or whatever, but we need to have some sort of discrepancy so that consumers aren't confused, so that if they have an interest to buy that, they know that's what it is. But if they don't have an interest to buy it, then they know, okay, I want to stay away from whatever they decide the labeling is. But then an interesting point was raised because it's like, okay, what do you call products in which cultured meat may be an ingredient could you call it beef stew if it was cell-based beef stew? Hmm. What do you call it? You call it uh, you call it science stew. I don't know. <laughs> I so don't know. So they didn't come to an answer, basically, is what right. you're saying. Yeah, it, this was basically a, a time for people to present their thoughts, their feelings, public concerns, etc. Interesting. Here's here's my thought, meat industry. So we know that the natural and the organic sectors of uh, consumers' grocery lists is expanding. That's mm -hmm. been the fastest-growing sector of food expenses, natural and organic. Well, why don't we call our products natural beef, natural pork, natural chicken, and let the – because they're going to win if they go to court by saying this is meat. Since it comes from you know animal tissue, it is – meat, quote unquote, but it's not natural. I think that's our uh, ace in the hole here. We're raising natural meat. Yeah. And then this gets rid of the entire conversation over antibiotics and hormones and all that other foolishness that we've been debating. Now it's natural if it comes from an animal and it's unnatural if it comes from uh, a lab, I suppose. Yeah, I think I see what you're saying there, and that definitely makes sense because another person said, okay, well, why should we call it lab-grown meat? Because beer is technically lab-grown beer. Like, we don't label a lot of other foods that way. So Because there is no natural beer. Right. It's not well, like I can go to a stream and collect beer. True. I would not be alive if that were an option. That's true. I, I, but I get what you're saying, and I think that that makes sense. I think that ultimately – they're right. We need to have some sort of discrepancy so that consumers aren't confused. And meat industry, animal producers, we need to get on this first because traditionally we respond to issues yeah. and, you know, somebody else already has the high ground by that point. Like they want to go with clean meat, which is shenanigans. Mm -hmm. We need to get in there and, and claim this stuff first. We should be clean meat, frankly. Yeah, you know, some of the meatless meat people said they didn't even like that term clean Good. meat good because it's stupid well it's it is what stupid. it is okay and it is stupid delaney that's a stupid that's term. your opinion it is my opinion and just like my opinion on everything else that opinion is the correct one speaking of my opinion and something i've been fairly vocal on we've got some trade news today delaney mm-hmm 
And, uh, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the trade war and the tariffs that have no. been put into place. Really? And I have said repeatedly that they are not going to do anything to reduce yeah. the trade deficit. Well, guess what grew in the third quarter? The trade deficit. The trade deficit, it has widened as rising imports have outpaced exports yet again. So this is further proof that despite massive tariffs on one of our main trading partners, that being China, we are still seeing U.S. consumers choose to buy products that are manufactured overseas. And now this is being compounded by a drop in exports, particularly of agricultural goods, which is one of the few things this country exports um, outside of the high tech equipment and so forth. Um, we saw that drop in exports today with the uh, export report that definitely shook the market this morning. All uh, corn and soybeans were both below expectations. Mm -hmm. So the trade war is uh, is not accomplishing what uh, President Trump wants it to accomplish. Maybe it's all part of his plan. Yeah, and that could totally be the case. But uh, so far, at least here in the medium term, it isn't accomplishing what we were mm -hmm. told it was supposed to accomplish. I guess I ought to put it that way. Yeah, that's true. Well, to spin off of your trade news there, Mike, it looks like the Trump administration has no plans to extend further farm aid into 2019, even if we continue to be involved in the trade war with China, according to U.S. Secretary of agriculture, Sonny Perdue. He apparently made comments this week at an event in Champaign, Illinois. He didn't disclose specific dates for a second round of funding, but did indicate that there would not be funding in 2019. Hmm. So what, what does that mean? I don't, I think if we continue to see ourselves in a trade war, it is what it is. You've got one year of payments uh, this year, make your decisions accordingly next year, I guess. Okay, but it doesn't rule out the possibility of a second tranche of payments. It to doesn't come rule it out, year. but I don't think it looks promising either. Gotcha. Gotcha. But, well, yeah. Well, I was going to say, so the other thing I wanted to add to that is that the NMFP, the National Milk Producers Federation, they've also asked for more assistance from the Trump administration and I was trying to, like, calculate. So, so far, first, the USDA agreed to buy up $50 million of fluid milk. Then, as part of the trade package, they announced that they were going to be paying dairy farmers payments of about $127 million to compensate for that impact. And the USDA has also pledged to buy up another $84.9 million worth of dairy products, I think, for, like, those SNAP and nutrition programs. Sure. And now, in their latest letter to Secretary Purdue, the Federation says that dairy farmers have lost about a billion dollars of income since May and basically have asked them to do another round of payments or some sort of like package or buying up milk or whatever. Wow. Like that's a lot of money that they've already dumped into the economy for milk producers. That's crazy. It is, and it hasn't done much to, well, it hasn't really done anything to no. support the price of milk. Yeah. You know, I almost wonder, and you hate to even suggest this, but what needs to happen is the dairy herd needs to shrink a little bit yeah. since all these cows are so productive. Maybe they need to do herd buyouts again like they did back in the 90s. I don't know. Um, That reminds me, too, of like, so that book I was reading for class called The Worst Hard Times, they did 
buyouts, I guess, if that's what you want to call it, during the decimal times to, like, try and revive people in the panhandles that had cattle and stuff that were sick and really not doing any good for the farmers. But they went through and bought these cattle or these dairy cattle, and then they just shot them. Yeah, I'm not suggesting that we do that, but it's like, I don't know. I just it's fascinating to see what they'll do to, like, basically give the economy a boost. Right. And, you know, one of the things that we talked about was this new USMCA, this NAFTA 2.0, has uh, has gotten rid of the Canadian classes of milk that mm-hmm. caused U.S. dairy producers trouble, classes 6 and 7. However, I was reading an analysis by Reuters that only opens up about 4% of the oh, Canadian wow. dairy industry. I, I, would have, I would have imagined it was a lot more. 4%. Yep. So it's basically it's just that ultra filtered milk product, which is yeah. a small percentage of what we produce in this country. And it's a small percentage of what Canada buys. But hopefully it's going to have an impact for those, uh, you know, northern state right. dairy producers. But here was another fact I learned. What? Tell me. Wisconsin produces more milk. The state of Wisconsin produces more milk than the entire country of Canada consumes in a year. Say that one more time. Wisconsin alone produces mm-hmm. more milk than Canada consumes. Oh, my gosh, in a year. That's a crazy. Year. Yeah, exactly. That's just how productive our dairy herd wow. is in this country. Wow. Well, let's see. Delaney, do you have any other news for us today? Yeah, I did have a couple other pieces of quick news. Um, President Trump signed into law yesterday some landmark legislation to help kind of counter this epidemic of opioid abuse that we're seeing, especially in rural America. It's passed now by the House, the Senate, and President Trump has signed it into action. So it is um, it is legislation. It is whole or whatever you want to say. So as part of this, it's going to make it's going, it's going to do a couple of things, really. Legislation is going to make it easier for Medicaid patients to get treatment for drug addiction. It increases policing of the mail that accounts for a lot of opioid trade. And it's also going to include provisions aimed at preventing, quote, doctor shopping, which I'm not for sure what that is, um, by improving basically prescription drug monitoring. So I think maybe what that's implying is like going to the doctor and basically trying to get a prescription for opioid abuse or for your your usage. And then if that doctor doesn't give it to you, you go to another doctor. Oh, So that's the doctor shopping. So basically, um, they've allotted $8 billion this year alone to combat drug abuse. So. That uh, this is going to be or is the largest legislation directly fighting drug addiction in the U.S., like in all of the history of the U.S. So that's eh, cool. I thought I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, we'll we'll see if it does any good. Hopefully it does, because, you know, opioid addiction is tearing, you know, particularly rural communities apart. Mm-hmm. Well, and I just have one other piece of news here, you know, to coming back to trade, coming back particularly to trade with China, you know, as we've enacted this trade war, the Chinese have, of course, started buying soybeans from Brazil. And Brazil has become one of their favorite trade partners here over the past year. Delaney, that could be changing. Jair Bolsonaro, who is one of the leading Brazilian presidential candidates, this is the guy who was stabbed in the gut about three weeks ago. 
He is back on the campaign trail, and he is basically taking Donald Trump's language against Japan that they are a, tr a predator economy. They're looking to dominate key sectors of the Brazilian economy, and he wants to change the way trade between China and Brazil happens, and he's looking at tariffs as a way to do that. If this comes to be, and I would imagine Donald Trump has talked to him, if the U.S. and Brazil are both putting tariffs on Chinese products, maybe mm -hmm. all of a sudden we can get China to change the way they act on the international stage. Hmm. I don't think I have high hopes for that quite yet. Well, I don't know. Here's what uh, here's what Bolsonaro said. He said, quote, the Chinese are not buying in Brazil. They are buying Brazil and it's getting uh, voters riled up. I mean, they're investing a lot of money down there, so mm, I'd believe it. Yep, so that is mm. one of the fears. So we'll have to see how this plays out, but that could turn uh, could turn China's main soybean-buying partner against mm -hmm. them here in the next year. Interesting. Yeah. Now, whether that would be good or bad for prices yeah. remains to be seen, but hopefully that would at least give China a reason to come back to the U.S. If you're going to be paying a tariff, you might as well buy soybeans from the most convenient place, I would think. Yeah, I guess so. Well, speaking of convenient things and prices, should we jump into markets or do you have more news? I just wanted to share one other quick thing that might have an impact in the beef markets coming up here over the next couple of years. We are seeing a Kansas beef packing plant being built. I'm sorry, a refrigeration distribution center being built by a Kansas beef packing plant, and that is Creekstone Farms Premium Beef LLC. They are building a $35 million facility, and that's going to be in Arkansas City, Kansas. So it's expected to hold, let me see here, it's going to be 41,334 square feet, and they're expecting um, automated storage and retrieval systems to handle about 27,000 boxes of meat in a nine-hour day with more than 37,000 box storage locations. Wow. It's going to be a big facility. Yeah, that's a big fridge right there is what that mm -hmm. is. Well, Delaney, I was thinking before we jump into the markets, of course, there is a huge event going on this week, and that is the National FFA Convention. And we had one of our reporters over there on the ground, Hannah Pagel, sent us some updates. What do you think? Should we play that and then come back and talk markets? Well, let's do it, Mike. All right, Mike and Delaney, today we are at the National FFA Convention, and we are here with Grace Everett. And Grace, where are you from? Mississippi. And Grace, can you tell us a little bit about how your journey so far, how you came to the National FFA Convention? Um, my journey all started out when my sister became a state officer, and I got so excited to be a part of this great organization, and then I just wanted to see what all it would bring to me, and so then I just started signing up for everything, uh, competed and prepared public speaking, got second at state, and I was like, okay, I'm still going to go to um, national convention and just see all the different other people from nationals um, from every other state. Mm -hmm. And tell us a little bit about your home state of Mississippi. What is agriculture like there? The agricultural status in Mississippi is outstanding. Like, you can be going to any part of the state and see different crops being grown. Like, you can see cotton, and then if you go up to Bartum in Mississippi, you'll see sweet potatoes, and then you can go all over to see 
all the different crops that are being grown. So it's just outstanding that we have that much in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. And in FFA, there's this thing called the Supervised Agricultural Experience. Can you tell us a little bit about what your SAE project is? My SAE project is um, animal care which is very broad because I have so many different types of animals such as um, horses, chickens, um, my dogs and even to my cat and then I also have mules and everything like that that I just try to take care of and build fences for and everything like that. And what has been your favorite part about experiencing National FFA Convention so far? My favorite thing about National Convention has to be seeing all the blue jackets everywhere from different states. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Hi, thank you. All right, Mike and Delaney, our next interview here today at the National FFA Convention is with Savannah Egger. She is from California. And Savannah, how are you doing today? I'm good. So tell me a little bit about how you got into the blue and gold. What made you want to join FFA? Well, my mom was really into it when she was in high school, and my dad also did it. And I also wanted to raise an animal for fair, and so that's that kind of made me go into it. So, And Savannah, you're from California, so tell me a little bit about what agriculture is like in your state. Agriculture is really big in my state because we produce, like, a lot of uh, a lot of the products that are around the world and so uh, and we're also really focusing on um, like how we're gonna be able to produce enough food for the future because we're growing in population around the world and stuff so we're trying to conserve uh, our soil water and figure out the problems so yeah so tell me a little bit about are, do you come from a rural background, a farm background, or are you from more of an urban area? Where are you from in California? Um, well, my hometown is very small and up in the mountains. So we're kind of, we don't have a lot of farms, but, you know, it's just a small town. And, yeah. So tell me a little bit about what the experience has been like here at the National FFA Convention. Have you been enjoying yourself so far? Yes, I have. I've been learning a lot and you know, it's I've just been in the opening session, but just coming here is a big eye opener because like you see everybody here and all the blue and gold and stuff. Yeah. What would you like to get involved with in FFA in the future after seeing what can all take place here at convention? Um, well, I definitely want to help figure out like like I said the problems that were about to face with the um, food and conserving stuff. So I want to help out with that, yeah. Well, we wish you the best of luck with that. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you. All right, well, it sounds like they had all a great time last night. I was watching Snapchat stories, and everybody got to go to the Garth Brooks concert. Dang it, Mike, why weren't we there? I know. Have you ever seen Garth Brooks in concert? No, I was supposed to, but then something happened, and I couldn't end up going. No, I never have either. I think he'd be a good show. I think so, too. Well, you know what isn't a good show, Delaney, are today's grain yep. markets. Yep, yep, yep. What do you think? Should we rip this Band-Aid off before we talk to uh, Michael Dolt from the Iowa Soybean Association? Let's do it, Mike. 
All right, folks, and our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, it is never too late to put a marketing plan in place. It's never too late to manage your marketing risk. Give our friends at Zaner a call. You can reach them at 312-277-0050, or you can visit them on the web at zaner.com and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. As I mentioned, some weak export news this morning definitely took the wind out of the sails. Starting with the corn market, the Dease contract was down seven and a quarter at 361 even, with the March down seven at 373 and a half. Soybeans also lower on the day with the November down eight and a half cents at 841 and three quarters. The January dropped nine cents to finish at 854 and a half. Despite wheat stronger than expected performance in exports, it took it on the chin today. The December Chicago wheat contract was down 12 and a quarter cents at 487 and a quarter with the March down 12 at 507 and three quarters. Looking over at the world of livestock, mixed trade in live cattle with the October contract up seven and a half cents at one thirteen thirty five. The December down a dollar twenty seven fifty, closed at one seventeen oh seven fifty. Weakness in feeder cattle with the October contract down sixty five cents at one fifty three ninety seven and a half. The November down a dollar ninety seven and a half to close at one fifty three ninety five. Mixed trade in lean hogs. The December contract was down 75 cents at 56.7750. The February was up 12 and a half cents to close the day at 64.55. And in the dairy market, I had ice cream for lunch. Let's see if it did our friends in dairy any good. The October class three milk contract was up three cents on the day at 15.53. And November big rally up 23 cents to close at 15.13. Without further ado, let's get in some thoughts with Michael Dolch, the new policy director, the Iowa Soybean Association. Well, I'm here at the American Soybean Association meeting of state staffs, and I bumped into a friend of the podcast, Mr. Michael Dolch. Last time we spoke with him, he was working for Senator Joni Ernst out in D.C., but Michael, you have fled the swamp, as I understand it. Yes, indeed. Moved back to Iowa in the last couple of weeks, uh, serving as the new policy director for the Iowa Soybean Association. Okay, new policy director for the Iowa Soybean Association. Now, policy surrounding soybeans has definitely had an interesting year. We've had the trade war. We've got a farm bill currently uh, under deliberation still. Bring me up to speed. Michael, you're jumping into this role. What's priority number one in your mind? Sure, sure. And and this week is no different. Um, First and foremost, getting to know the players, uh, getting my feet under myself with the Iowa Soybean Association. Farmers have a great team. They're headquartered in Ankeny. Uh, So getting to know, again, their roles, their responsibilities. Uh, But you mentioned the policy piece and the trade war specifically, the farm bill, the lapse farm bill after September and the start of the new fiscal year has really taken a lot of the oxygen out of the room, um, not only in Iowa, but across the country and, and beyond. And so looking forward, obviously, farm bill deliberations continue. I think providing some certainty and predictability on that front. I know the principal negotiators, they've indicated they're determined to get something done, hopefully at here in 2018. Uh, both Chairman Conway, who was in Iowa earlier this week uh, with Congressman Young, and then also Representative Bacon uh, over in Nebraska across the Missouri River uh, talking farm bill uh, negotiations, uh, indicated that himself and Representative Peterson from Minnesota, uh, they do not want to carry this over, this conversation over into 2019. Will it get carried over, Michael Dolch? 
I think there's a real possibility, but I also think there's some optimism, uh, just given the fact that two of the four principal negotiators, maybe three of the four principal negotiators, have indicated they want to seriously get this done during the lame duck. I think the midterm elections here this next next month will be somewhat of an indication of, you know, what progress can be made yet. And there's some really important programs to Iowa soybean farmers specifically. Uh, one in particular, the uh, foreign market development program, uh, that funding lapsed again after the end of the fiscal year, September 30, starting October, and that's used uh, to identify and expand market access for our soybean farmers. And Give us a figure, uh, or if you can, what's a rough dollar figure that that usually gets per year or per farm bill? Sure, that's uh, $34.5 million um, each year over the life of the farm bill, um, so a substantial amount of money, and those dollars are leveraged with USDA. Um, and some of our U.S. Grains Council, United Soybean Export Council, uh, you name it. Um, they're going to work on behalf of farmers identifying and expanding those markets. So it's gone presently. We're waiting for the new farm bill to be signed. Do we know in the proposal, is there an increase in funding? Because, I mean, foreign market development, that, that's got to be top of mind here with China, you know, up in the air. Are we going to get more money for foreign market development if we get a farm bill? Sure. You indicate China. I think China's the longer longer conversation at this point. I think both sides, the administration here in the U.S. and also in China, other governments somewhat dug in. And I don't see that moving forward. But when you talk about foreign market development, those trade promotion programs, um, the Senate did a little bit differently than the House version. Both uh, reauthorized the programs, provided the mandatory funding, uh, but the Senate version specifically rolled everything together uh, under one umbrella, so to speak. So your foreign market development program, your market access program, um, again, an opportunity to more maybe streamline um, those dollars, uh, leverage them against other dollars um, to help go further. So then to pass the House would have to do the same thing, or the Senate would have to split it back up. Is that right? Sure, and right now it's being reconciled, and so what that means is you're in a conference committee. Uh, my former boss, Senator Ernst, being uh, the lone Iowan who's a member of that conference committee, uh, responsible to working with the principal negotiators to, to find that common ground and bring them together. Um, but again, you run the risk if we roll over into 2019, uh, the new Congress, um, going back to the drawing board and really starting these this process over again. Oh, not a not a prospect anybody's really looking forward to, I'm sure, least of all you, Michael. No, certainly, certainly not. And, and obviously engaging on the uh, on behalf of Senator Ernst and on behalf of Iowans uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, the swamp, as you mentioned. Um, it's, been, it's been an interesting process, and, and oftentimes you feel like you're in the dark. But again, um, hearing the good feedback from Iowans, uh, look forward to working with kind of on the other side of the table um, with the Iowa Soybean Association, and again on the federal level, but as we talked about earlier, on the state level as well. When you look at the state level, are there any proposals or are there any things coming that uh, that have you pretty excited? Because, I mean, Iowa soybean growers, yeah, there's not a whole lot of light in the end of that tunnel. Michael, is there anything we can look forward to on the state level? Sure, sure. And beyond, you know, the conversation around trade, the farm bill on the state level, there was a lot of progress and a big win on the water quality front mm-hmm. uh, this last session. And look forward to continuing that momentum and looking at and exploring some other opportunities moving forward. Um, it is so much as obviously pushing what you're supportive of and what you're hearing from your membership base, but then also um, you've got folks on the other side of the conversation and a matter of you know, pushing down uh, 
regula- regulation or bills that may prohibit farmers from doing what they do best. Absolutely. There's always there's always going to be a challenge. All right, I've just... It's easy to edit. Outstanding, Michael. There's always challenges when you're uh, looking in the world of politics. Now, you did mention China. You mentioned you don't see an end coming anytime soon. What does that mean for the American soybean industry? Are we going to see acreage? Do we need to see acreage come down fairly substantially if China's not buying at the pace they used to be? Well, sure, and I don't know if it's a matter of decreasing the acreage, the number of acres planted to soy. Um, just yesterday, last night, the administration notified Congress that they're looking at other countries, uh, the European Union, mm-hmm. uh, the UK, Japan, some of those Pacific Rim countries that were part of TPP and re-engaging them in trade talks. And the way that works is co- uh, the administration has to give Congress a 30-day notice before those negotiations can continue, and that notification came yesterday. Oh, wow. Um, so we're really looking forward to maybe some expansion in those markets. Um, so it's not rejoining of TPP or of TTIP, this is a whole new discussion. Sure, sure. This is, again, um, having the face-to-face conversation, the opportunity to sit down and have the dialogue um, that may build that market access and, and re-engage some of these countries that, like you say, we're not joining at this point TPP again, but individual countries may be doing more so the bilateral movement uh, that the administration has, has carried from the campaign into, into office. Well, Michael Doltz, we absolutely wish you the best. You've got your work cut out for you here in the year ahead, but uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Sure. No, thanks so much, Mike. Appreciate what you do and, and look forward to working on behalf of Iowa Soybean Farmers. Well, Blaney, it's good. We've got some smart minds working on behalf of uh, farmers' policy interests, don't you think? Yes, I do, Mike. It is true. Well, we have some smart minds, not ours, but others who have appeared on this podcast, of course, over the past 19 months now we've been on. Delaney, if listeners want to get caught up on any of them, where should they go? They can head to agnewsdaily.com for now. We've got a new website launching. We're not going to tell you what that is yet, but it's coming very soon. But for now, yeah, head to agnewsdaily.com or you can interact with us on Facebook and on Twitter by searching for at Ag News Daily. With that, Mike, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.